We are indeed thinking about joy this morning, uh, but we're using one of the texts from the prophets to help us consider what joy is uh, in, the, in the biblical sense, as the scriptures would have us enter into it and think about it. I want to invite you then to open to Isaiah 35 this morning. And uh, to have your finger there, we'll, we'll be um, jumping into that passage in just a moment. If you know me a little bit, you've heard me preach here the last five years, you'll know that uh, I'm a bit of a, a visual person, that images are important to me. Um, they're important not just to help me learn things, but I also think I kind of respond to the world through images. Right, they, they make sense of kind of what's most real. So I would ask you as we start out this morning, we're going to get an image in uh, the prophet Isaiah this morning, in Isaiah 35. He's going to give us actually a series of images that I think are all about joy. But what is your kind of primary or primal image of reality right now, today? What what image are you responding to the world out of? When you think about what expectations you have, where you think your future is headed, how you're kind of feeling about this particular day, that the second week in December in 2020, in the midst of a very unusual year, in the midst of what's often a busy season for us as we lead up to uh, Christmas and the end of school year, uh, school years or, or semesters, what is the, the image you have of your current situation and reality? If I, if I had to be honest, I need to figure out where I put my clicker. The image that, that I feel uh, I've, I've operated out of or responded to frequently in the past weeks and months looks a bit like this one. This is a photo of Southern California. It's taken in the San Joaquin Valley. And of course, it's a desert. You can see that in that photo there's a lot of emptiness and there's not particularly a lot of life, a lot of promise. It's a, it's a desert-like uh, photo. And I think that over the course of this past year, right, through kind of a series of exposures to disappointments and shifts and dysfunctions and, and just kind of the dry and dusty routine exposure to the sin and brokenness of our world. We can, we can start to think about what is possible, what is most true from, from this kind of place, from a desert-like posture or place. But there is good news for us because as the people of God, as the church, we are in the third Sunday of Advent. And Advent asks us, I think it even challenges us, to picture our present reality not just in terms of what is present in front of us. In fact, we're asked to see our present reality uh, in light of God's near future. What God says will come to pass. That's what Advent is all about. The promise that God will come, that God will bring renewal and restoration. That there is a day when God will breathe the full intensity of his life and his blessing and his presence upon the earth when Christ returns. And so Advent asks us to see this moment 
in light of that coming moment when God will make all things new. And so if, if you have felt that you're in a bit of a desert-like image or reality, Advent, I think, would challenge you to see this moment and respond to this moment out of an image more like this one. Believe it or not, this image was taken in the same general area as the first photo. This is also in California's San Joaquin Valley. But it happens to have been taken during a once-in-a-decade phenomenon known as a super bloom. This was in 2017. And in a super bloom, the, the heavens pour out this unexpected, this extra dose of rainfall in the spring. And the effect of that extra rainfall is that moisture makes its way down into the desert soil further and deeper than it usually would. And there are all sorts of seeds and bulbs buried down there in the desert soil that have laid lifeless for, for years, sometimes decades, on end. But during a superbloom, all at once, that, that latent life springs into blossom. And the desert becomes filled with color. What I find fascinating about this phenomenon is that botanists, scientists, people who study these things, they know that these can happen. In fact, they know with relative certainty that they will happen. What they don't know is when. Right? No one can predict when a superbloom takes place. Occasionally you get a few of these spaced just a couple years apart in the same desert. At other times, a whole generation can go by before enough rainfall comes in the spring that the, the desert uh, flora and fauna you know, sort of resurrect back into life again. And so all we can do is wait, much like we are doing in this season of Advent. Our text this morning is Isaiah 35, and it's written to Israel, the people of God, during a, an arid time of existence, a time where they were sent into exile as a people. And in that, that desert-like place, their, their hope was fading. Right? Their identity as a people, their sovereignty as a nation had been compromised. Their worship of the living God had come under under pressure and challenged it to be sustained. And in many ways, they were sort of wilting into the soils of exile. As one generation in exile passed into another, I'm sure the, the idea, the promise that, that they as a people would ever sort of re-blossom and re-flourish, that idea probably seemed more and more remote, maybe even foolish hold on to. But into the despair of that time and place of exile, God stirs his prophet to share an image, to share a picture, a picture that is all about joy for the people of God. And it's a joy that seems almost unthinkable, almost unreasonable given the circumstances. But it's not unreasonable given who our God is and what he is capable of. 
So as we, we read through Isaiah 35, I'm going to reread the whole of that text here in just a moment. I want you to, to hear in this passage uh, what I think are, are three ideas brought forward about joy. First is that joy is about restoration. See if you can notice that in this chapter. Secondly, joy is about celebration. And thirdly, joy is about destination. Restoration, celebration, and destination. Let me read for us Isaiah 35. I'm going to move my text over here. The desert and the parched land will be glad, the prophet says. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay grass, and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ferocious beast will get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Again, I mentioned that I think there are three big ideas that, that I, Isaiah sketches for us about what joy, Advent joy, joy waiting for the restoration and, and, the, and the presence and, and the coming promise of who our God is are, are described here. And the first of this is that joy, as the scriptures conceive of it, is always about restoration. Joy is always about God taking that which is dry, that which is dead, that which is full of despair, that which is full of brokenness, and infusing it with his holy vitality, healing it, bringing it back to its intended function. And there are kind of waves of restoration pictured throughout this chapter. The first wave of God's restoring work we're told about in verses 1 and 2. It comes to the desert place. 
And we're told that, that God is able to transform and to restore the, the dead soil of the desert into a lush carpet of blossoms and flowers and grasses. Verse 7, on the end of this section, kind of an inclusio, it says that, that the, the desert soil is, is, gives way to these bubbling springs that come up beneath it. And they saturate that thirsty ground. And so in a very real sense, Isaiah is picturing one of these super blooms. A super abundance of God causing what was dead and lifeless to come forth in new life. And Isaiah says it is a demonstration, verse 2, of God's glory and God's splendor in creation. But if that's the, the first wave of God restoring, the second wave comes in verses 3 and 4, when God begins to restore his people who are waiting there in the desert. Look at how Isaiah describes that community. Right? He says they are a people who are likely weak and feeble, people who are exhausted, a people who are full of fear. Because they are in exile. They probably have been waiting years, if not lifetimes, wondering where their God has gone. Right? Where has the blessing of God gone? Where has the faithful love of God gone? gone, right? Why do they remain in this place of waiting? Is God hiding from them? To that community, this is what Isaiah is told to say. Strengthen your wavering hands, right? And steady your wobbly knees. And let all the fear that you possess be removed, because your God is coming, Isaiah says. He is coming to save you. And moving into to verses 5 and 6, Isaiah begins to picture what it will look like when God comes to his people. When God shows up, Isaiah says, you'll know it because those with blind eyes, their eyes will be opened. When God shows up, deaf ears will be unstopped. When God shows up, the lame will begin to leap like a deer. And when God shows up, mute tongues will be released to shout in joy. Isaiah says, when God's presence comes, he infuses the brokenness of the human condition, the brokenness and limitation of the human body with a new kind of humanity. And if you happen to, to know your gospels well, you'll know that this is actually the fact. This is precisely what happens when God puts on a human body, when God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, John's disciples come to Jesus and they want to know, who are you? What are you really about? Jesus says, look at the power of restoration flowing through me. Look at what's happening all around you. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus says, today the blind are receiving sight. Today the lame walk. Today the leprous are cleansed. Today the deaf hear and the dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. 
Jesus unequivocally says, God has come to his people. The the springtime has come to the desert places of our earth. And so biblical joy, this idea of God restoring creation, that restoration is predicated on the incarnation. What God has done by bodily taking on human form, entering our world as Jesus, the Son, Right? He has initiated this work. And, and, and the, the epistles of Paul work with this idea that, that in the lordship now of Jesus Christ, having broken into reality, that all of creation is getting reordered and restored and brought into the authority of the new life of resurrection. Right? It's coming. It's begun to arrive, and we are now waiting for that that wave of fullness to wash over us. So by way of application, I would ask you this morning to consider where do you need God to act? Where are you most desperately in need of restoration this morning? Those, Those waves to wash over you in a new way. Could you identify one or two places that you want to ask God to begin to restore you or restore those near to you? As we ask God to do the work of restoration that brings joy, Isaiah also tells us there's something we can do about it while we wait for God to act, and that is to choose to respond to God's promise in celebration. Can't get this to jump forward here. Because God is a God of restoration, he asks us to respond to him with celebration. Right? It's, it's a fitting response to who God is and what he does. And so not only does Isaiah 35 describe God taking what was broken and making it new, But it also describes what I like to think of as this massive parade happening in the desert. Or or maybe for our modern sensibilities, a massive dance party being rolled out there in the middle of the dry and weary places. It's a a cause or or, or an act of celebration that begins in verse 2 as the desert begins to kind of lay down the beat in the background. Right? It says that the flowers begin to shout with joy. You can picture that as kind of the baseline of this dance song. But as creation begins to rejoice and shout and, and fill the desert with its song, it needs someone to get out on the dance floor with it. And I love the images that Isaiah gives us here. Who is the first one to leap up and respond to that invitation to dance? but the lame man who has now found the new resurrection life of God in his legs. And he begins to leap and to celebrate and to rejoice in who God is and what is possible in his salvation. And with creation singing and the lame leaping, then the mute get involved in the act and they begin to shout like they've never been able to shout before. And you can see the the scene that is kind of building in the desert. 
And finally, we're told by, by verses 8, 9, and 10, we have this whole army of exiles marching through the desert, dancing through the desert. So overcome with joy that Isaiah says they wear it like a crown upon their heads. They are a people overtaken with celebration. Now, I'm not exactly a Pentecostal, but there's something about the, the kind of holy joy that, that is a response of, of the body, right, of, of, of dancing, of viscerally knowing the saving power of God in our bones, right, that's described here and that I think is instructive for us. Right, do, we, do we really appreciate how supremely awesome the saving power of our God is? The promise of what is coming. And so let me offer a second application this week. As we learn to wait in joy this week, do something that is an act, an intentional act of celebrating what God is going to do. Right? Enter into that. Maybe if you're a family, one of the things we like to do at home, uh, there's, a, there's a band called Wren Collective, and they have these sort of full-blown praise songs. They have a, an album from many years ago called The Art of Celebration. You could find it on YouTube and put one of those songs on and just dance. Respond with your bodies if that's something you, you like to do in the, the privacy of your living room. For those of you that maybe that seems a bit of a stretch, uh, one thing I did a couple days ago was just took the, uh, the Messiah by Handel and put it on a set of earphones. And I went for a walk through the woods and just listened to the, the supreme beauty of that music and the prophecy and the scripture that, that's infused all the way through. And just heard those words of promise and sat with them and let them soak into my imagination. I do something to intentionally respond to the joy of God by celebrating. So we've said that the joy of Advent begins with the restoring work of God. It continues by choosing to, to do uh, acts of celebration, practices of celebration. But there's one last thing I want us to notice about the joy Isaiah describes here. Isaiah says, joy is meant to take us somewhere. Joy is leading to a destination. And we see that in verses 8, 9, and 10. God creates a highway in the desert for his people. He says it's a highway of holiness. It's a highway reserved exclusively for those God is saving and redeeming. And so he clears the road, right? He makes it level. He takes away predators and, and thieves and robbers. And instead, it's, it's reserved again for God's redeemed people. But God's redeemed people still have to choose. They still have to, to begin to move forward on that road. They have to set their hearts on the destination that's in front of them. And so they, they begin to hike. They begin to, to dance, as we've said. They begin to make pilgrimage here toward God's salvation that has been promised. And their joy is this act, Isaiah says, of returning to God. Right? God has come to them in the power of his salvation, but they're responding by moving 
toward him. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography uh, entitled Surprised by Joy, he talks about joy uh, being this thing in his early life, as a child and then as, a, as an adult. This sense of longing for that which is truly good, which is truly beautiful, as kind of a key to human existence. And Lewis, in that book, documents how it was the pursuit of joy that leads him into the, the reality, the truth of the Christian faith. And, and the end of the book uh, essentially is his conversion experience. But in the very final paragraph, he talks about how those experiences of joy, it turns out, were not actually the thing he was seeking. He says that the experience of joy is actually more like a a trail marker. It's more like a pointer to something beyond itself. And he says this. He says, when we are lost in the woods... The sight of a signpost, a trail marker, is a great matter to us. And he who first sees it cries, look. There's this excitement about about seeing that marker and, and now being on the path to something. But Lewis goes on to say that once we've found the path, once we've found the road and we begin to pass these signposts every few miles, we shall no longer stop and stare at them. He says, instead, we grow eager with the anticipation to reach the destination to which they point. And in verse 10, Isaiah tells us what that destination is. Those who are walking, are responding, are celebrating in the joy of the Lord, finally discover where joy leads them. It's to the gates of Zion. It's to the place where Yahweh has promised to reign over his people in an everlasting way. And Isaiah says, as the people enter Zion, sorrow and sighing are swallowed up. They give way to supreme joy and gladness that cannot be stopped. And so joy then is this practice that points us to the one who is ultimately the the person we rejoice in, the one we were designed to be with forever. And so as we wait this week in joy, let let me challenge you to ask God to act, to begin to do that restoring work more fully. Let me challenge you to practice celebration in intentional ways, And may that stir within you a longing for our ultimate destination. To be a people who dwell with God and to have a God who dwells among us. I want to open up these last few minutes uh, before we we worship again in song to pray. If you're alone, feel free to pray quietly in your spirit. If you're with others, let me invite you to pray for one another. And specifically as you listen to this, this quiet piece of music, To invite God to name specifically where we want to see him make that restoration fuller and deeper in our current world and reality. And then secondly, ask him for strength to respond in celebration right now. Ask him for ideas, practical ways to live this out. Let's pray.
pray together with me. Lord, we present this body of those being redeemed by you, restored by you, our whole church family. Lord, that you would strengthen our weak knees, feeble hands. Lord, that you would enter into our places of fear or anxiety. God, we invite you to act in our marriages and our families where things are broken. Would you lay bare so you could also build up and restore? Lord, we pray for those who are mourning and in grief. We think of many in our church family who have relatives being affected by the pandemic in new ways right now. Lord, would you have mercy. Lord, we pray for the Van Horn family. We pray for Phyllis. They grieve the loss of her parents in recent weeks. Lord, would you be close to them in your mercy and peace and strength. Lord, we pray that you would continue to grow in us a deeper hope, a deeper joy, a deeper peace that is rooted in the reality of what is yet to come. We offer these things to you now. Strong, mighty name of the God who has come to us, Lord Jesus.